This is a Vault Studios production. This show contains adult subject matter and is meant for mature audiences only. Matthew Boynton is cleared of any involvement surrounding the injuries that put his estranged wife, Jessica Boynton, in a coma for three weeks in April 2016. But a different case, also involving Jessica, now has him sitting inside an interrogation room of his own police department, and they're about to catch him in a lie. I'm Brendan Keefe. This is The Officer's Wife, Chapter 6. Griffin police are in possession of a gym bag that Jessica Boynton's been looking for, a bag that Matthew swore he didn't have after their divorce, even signed a statement to that effect. But when the bag turns up and it appears to have been in Matthew's possession all along, he's called in to answer questions. In July 2017, more than a year after Jessica was found in that locked closet, he sits down for an interview with two of his own, Lieutenant Karen Yancey and Sergeant John Hayes. In full uniform, Matthew walks into the small interrogation room. It's not an internal investigation, but a criminal one. So Jessica came in, she filed a report. Um, okay. I talked to you about it. Uh, you wrote a statement saying you didn't have any of her items. Um, right. The report specifically said her retainer and stuff like that and clothes. Okay. Um, do you know anything about where her clothes or retainer might have been? Like I told her before, the only thing that we might have had would have been in that white trailer, and my stepdad does not mention anything else being in there. And we gave everything back that we had. I mean, everything that she had that I knew of was gone. I got rid of everything I knew of. Through the course of that move, did you find anything that belonged to her at that point? No, because if I would have, I would have turned it over to her, because I have no need to keep her stuff. Yancey shows a photo to Boynton. Do you recognize that bag? Yes, a bag that Jessica let me use to put all my gym stuff in when we used to be together. Sergeant Hayes lets out a deep sigh, and they hand Matthew Boynton a folder with more photos. So when's the last time that you saw that bag? I mean, it's been a while. I don't, I don't know an exact date. I don't know. Sergeant Hayes asks Matthew why he's looking at a photo of that same bag. The bag was completely filled with female clothes. Whose bag is that? Uh, Jessica's. He points to an evidence photo of Jessica's retainer. Looks like Jessica's old retainer thing. Does she have them wear together? Right. And there's more inside the bag. And the contents in the bag? It's got all her stuff in it. Sarge, I promise I've not been through that bag. The last time I used Matthew, that bag I was for the I didn't ask you that, Matthew. He asks Matthew why he wouldn't have brought the bag into the police station while he was moving. I just I didn't think, think about it because I used it as a gym bag and she let me use it. Listen to me, buddy. You're a police officer, Matthew. You know we are held to a higher standard than anybody else. I understand. You know, people don't 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 expect us to make mistakes and they don't realize we're human. I understand that. You yes, understand sir. that. I should have been about Yancey hands over Boynton's written statement. I do not have any other items of Jessica's. This is Matthew Boynton. Is that your statement? Yes, sir. I understand. That does not make it community property. I understand. That makes it her property. Yes, sir. Is there anything you'd like to say? No, sir. Do you believe that statement to be accurate and true? Not now. Did you believe it then? No, sir. 
gets up and walks out, closing the door behind him. Boynton sits alone, unsettled in his chair and fidgets with his phone. He begins undressing, taking off his uniform one piece at a time. He places his radio and mic on the table and wipes a tear from his eye. He removes his bulletproof vest for the last time. Hayes walks back into the room while Boynton continues removing his uniform, knowing he will no longer be an officer with the Griffin Police Department. I'm walking around outside. Why would you say you didn't have the damn bag when you had it? You know you can't give a sworn statement and lie on it. Why would you do that, it was a bag, man. It wasn't. It's not like it was. Talk to me, man. I mean, help me understand. I've got two kids, three and one. I wouldn't jeopardize that over a bag. If I'm telling you, Sergeant, if I would have thought about it then, I would have said something. But you knew you had I the bag. Did you not know you had the bag? Sorry, my mind's right. I don't. I fucked up. I know I didn't. I should have turned it in. But not only because I'm a cop, because I should have, because it was just because even if she don't use it, it, it was the right thing to do, man. Hayes drills him on why he didn't just turn in the bag when he moved. Did you think he was going to get in trouble if you turned it in late? I, I guess. I don't know what I was going through. My mind. What do you think should happen now? Well, that's probably going to happen. No, that's not what I asked you. So what do you think should happen? Matthew begins crying as he talks about his two boys. Was my kids, man. My kids are fucking daddy's boys, man. If I would have thought about it, I would have done it. Of all, of all the stuff that you, you see about you, you know if you were in possession of something that belonged to her, you know you should you could have brought it to me. Matthew hands his gun belt to the sergeant. You know I'm going to do the right thing. You know I have to do the right thing. I would have took care of it. I would have gotten the bag back to her. But when you knew you had the bag and you didn't do anything about it, man, you put me in a situation where I, got, I don't have any other choice. I'm clear. I'm clear. There's no excuse for it. I, I love working here. I know you and do. I, and I, I, was, I asked you, I was so scared to come to work every day. Matthew tells him he was afraid to come to work every day, fearing he'd do something wrong. And if he brought the bag to work, he figured he'd be fired. Oh, I'm but, so young. But Matthew, you know, doing the right thing regardless, it doesn't matter. If you do the right thing, you can live with yourself. Nine times out of ten, I, I do. I, don't, I mean, that's what I was raised. But you, you know that. You know that you have to do the right thing. Boynton finishes taking off his uniform. Yeah, I know I'm obviously not employed anymore. It's just like, the only thing I can think about now is my kids, man. My, my kids. <laughs> but Hayes reminds him that he took an oath. But you know, when you, when you swear an oath, we swear that we're going to uphold the law. Yes, sir. Regardless. And you know you can't lie. To, you can't lie in an investigation. You know that. I don't know what I was thinking. Like I said, I don't know if I was scared or what. I don't know what was going to my mind then. Does that make it right? No, it doesn't. I know that. I know this is everything I've ever worked for, like out the door. I would be rather be anywhere else than be here. But if you had done what you were supposed to do, we would not even have to be in that conversation. You would have to worry about it. 
Yes, sir. But you know that we have to do, we have to do the right thing. We have to do what people pay us to do. You know that. With that, Sergeant Hayes takes the young officer for booking. Stripped of his uniform, badge, and gun, Matthew is arrested and voluntarily resigns from the police department on the spot. He's charged with two felonies, filing a false statement and violating his oath of office. Matthew Boynton walks out of the Griffin police station, no longer an officer, now a criminal defendant. A grand jury is about to hear the case against Matthew Boynton for stealing Jessica's bag while she was in a coma and then lying to his department, signing a sworn statement when she filed a complaint in 2016. But before Matthew's case goes to the grand jury, Jessica gets news that one of the felony charges against him might not stick. At one point in time, Jessica had a meeting with um, the prosecutor in the case. Her name is Kate Leonard, and um, ADA Leonard informed Jessica that the criminal charge of violation of his oath of office was likely to be dismissed because the police department could not locate his oath of office that it was missing. So Griffin newspaper editor Sheila Matthews starts digging. I made a, you know, a quick call and submitted an open records request to Spotting County Magistrate Court and... That is where officers with the Griffin Police Department are sworn in, and I received his oath of office. The afternoon that I received his oath of office, which was one day after I submitted the open records request, I contacted um, the district attorney for the Griffin Judicial Circuit, Ben Coker, and I informed Ben that I had the oath of office. He knew nothing about any of this. He made a few phone calls. Long story short, um, the day after I informed district attorney Coker that I had obtained Matthew Boynton's oath of office, Griffin Police Chief Mike Yates suddenly informed Ben Coker that his oath of office was located at the police department. So the question is, would that charge have ever gone in front of the grand jury had Sheila not found the oath of office? The only thing I can say is that the Spalding County DA's office had spent approximately six months attempting to obtain that oath of office. There had been numerous phone calls made to the police department. Um, They had ultimately even contacted the uh, City of Griffin Human Resources Director who went to the Griffin archive, um, the the employee record archive, looked through his physical personnel file. The, The oath of office was not to be found. According to what the Griffin Police Department told Ben Coker's office for six months, it was gone. It couldn't be found until I located it. And then the day after I reported that I had a copy, then the police department, after six months of not being able to locate it, did locate it. Coincidental? I will let that be for others to decide. With both charges intact and nearly a year after Matthew Boynton is first arrested by his own police department and charged with making false statements in writing and violating his oath of office as a police officer, his case goes before the grand jury. Even though they did have the audio video recording of his confession, um, acknowledging that he knowingly made a false statement when he wrote and signed the civil statement denying possession of his ex-wife's belongings. The grand jury comes back with a no-bill ruling. Which meant that they determined that there was not probable cause, sufficient probable cause, to move forward with the criminal prosecution of Superior Court. All charges against Matthew Boynton are dropped. After everything that's happened, it's not surprising at all. Jessica Boynton, 
who now goes by her maiden name, Lester, says the police let her ex-husband get away with everything. Well, he's gotten away with everything so far because he had a whole police department helping him cover it up. It should concern any and everybody because he doesn't deserve to be a cop if he's not going to uphold his oath. But perhaps tucked neatly behind the history of the old mills in town lies the truth about what happened to Jessica Boynton. Did she shoot herself? Did someone else? Was she even shot at all? We may already know the answer. The GBI seems to think so. For the past three years, Sheila Matthews has been immersed in the Boynton case and all of its twists and turns, including the latest grand jury ruling. She still doesn't have answers about what happened inside that closet in April 2016. I have absolutely no idea. I was not in that closet. Um, I have been asked that question probably more often than any other question, and I truly have no idea. Um, I know that from things that I've learned over the course of my investigation of this incident and the, the investigation of the incident that... I have a lot of questions regarding some of the findings, um, but as far as what happened, I honestly don't know, and I don't even have any suspicions that I could specifically cite. And while um, authorities may say that the investigation was complete, thorough, exhaustive, and it led to this finding, I disagree with that, and many others do as well. And one of the case's forensic details has always bothered the veteran investigative reporter. Investigators believe the first shot was fired by Jessica as she stood in the closet, held the gun to her head with her right hand, and pulled the trigger. And that the bullet skimmed across the, the top of her skull and exited through the upper left-hand side of the closet wall, and then through the bedroom, and then out um, it exited the apartment through the ceiling. The second shot, they believe, investigators believe, was fired after she fell to the ground. As Chief Yates tells her, they believe Jessica fell forward inside the closet after she shot herself with Matthew's service weapon. With Glock, this, the trigger is on the safety. So you have to actually have your finger on the trigger in order for a shot to be fired. Chief Yates explained that the belief is that Jessica fell, after she shot herself, she fell forward. As she was falling forward, either immediately before she hit the ground or as she did hit the ground, that her finger, there was an involuntary muscle spasm or the, the pressure of her hand hitting the floor, whatever, she pulled the trigger. And that's when they believe the second shot was fired because that shot was fired approximately, I believe, 14 inches, uh, entered the wall about 14 inches off the floor and had a very sharp upward, leftward trajectory. Sheila believes the gun must have been fired from the floor, but she points out there's no physical evidence that Jessica was ever in that position inside the closet. At that point, she already would have had the head wound. And one thing I know, head wounds bleed a lot. And yet there was not one single drop of blood at that location or in the 90 degree swath between that point and her final resting place where she was discovered, which was 90 degrees to the left. And questions about the GBI's investigation linger like a persistent drumbeat. This investigation, in particular, is unlike anything she's ever seen while reporting on criminal cases over the years. 
the investigative process was, in my experience, atypical of what I've seen in other cases and um, just left many unanswered questions. For Jessica, her memories and the answers she hoped would come one day may be lost forever. She doesn't believe the truth has or ever will prevail. It's just a big, massive cover-up that nobody can seem to get to the bottom of. And it's, I think it's more frustrating than anything because it's like you never fully get the truth. Since Matthew Boynton's voluntary resignation from the Griffin Police Department, he joined the Braswell Police Department as a reserve officer in November 2018. However, according to Post, the state of Georgia's Peace Officer Standards and Training Council, his law enforcement certification has expired. Until he's reinstated, he can't work for any police department. Also, online records indicate that Post investigated Matthew and scheduled a hearing for May 2019. The decision from that hearing is not available yet. We reached out to Matthew Boynton for an interview, but he didn't return our calls. Also, when we asked to talk to Agent Chris DeMarco, the GBI responded in an email. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation completed the investigation into the shooting incident involving Jessica Boynton. It is the finding of the agency that the injuries sustained were self-inflicted. The findings were presented to the Griffin Judicial Circuit District Attorney's Office. The district attorney reviewed the findings and concluded that there was insufficient evidence to support any criminal proceeding. The GBI is confident in the investigation, and this case was closed on September 15th, 2016. My opinion has definitely changed um, since I did the interview with the GBI because when they interviewed me at the time, like you said, I was still kind of out of it. Um, I didn't have all the information I have now, like with the inconsistencies, the lies, you know, everything. Um, Honestly, I don't see how you know everything about it and don't wonder what actually happened because we all know what they said happened didn't really happen. It's just not possible. These days, Jessica Lester is taking life one day at a time with her boys and her fiance. In fact, they've had a third little boy together. It has been almost four years. Um, I've been doing really good. What happened was a big deal, but now that I look about it, it kind of just, I've just moved on. Her grandmama calls Jessica a fighter. I, I really believed that we would get justice. I honestly believe that we would get justice. We, we haven't. We haven't got justice any time that we've been. We haven't. That's something Martha's been fighting for, for Jessica, writing letter after letter to anyone who listened to their story, the GBI, the governor. And for Martha, justice means... It's truth. And I realize that the only two people that really know the truth is Matthew and, and Jessica. And so far, Jessica hasn't been able to recall what happened. You know, the, the GBI... You know, uh, the different ones that talk, uh, you know, they did a really good investigation, a really thorough investigation. Well, I'm sorry, if that's a good investigation, Lord help us if we ever get a bad investigation. Because there are so many questions that, that haven't been answered. I mean, you know, simple things, you know, 
Like, I haven't changed my clothes. I haven't washed my hands. Well, the body cam shows that he's got on different clothes from, from the Walmart camera. Just like they pointed out that his phone was in the apartment being used when he, quote, wasn't in the apartment. You know, when her things were, weren't returned to her and they was found that he did have the bag and he admitted, you know, and he was charged. From the, you know, the police department themselves charged him. Um, he didn't get fired. He, le- he, he left on his own, so he still can go to work anywhere he wants to as a, a policeman if they hire him. And for Jessica's friend, Megan, justice is elusive. There was no justice. If they could go back in time and redo all of this, if we could go back in time and fix all of this, it would be completely different than what it is right now. She says she would have handled that night differently. I would have checked on Jessica a lot sooner. I would have made sure she was okay regardless of my fiance's opinion. I would have made sure that GBI handled that investigation the way that they should have. It was the good old boy system, the buddy-buddy system. You know, Matthew's grandfather being friends with GBI. Evidence can go anywhere it wants to go. But in lieu of going back in time, she hopes for a new type of justice. I wished that the FBI would pick this up. Honest to God. The FBI or somebody that's in investigations of some sort, whether it's a county, a city, whatever, but something needs to be picked back up so that charges can be brought against Matthew for what he did. There was more than enough evidence to get him. But for Jessica, now 23... Justice isn't about her. It's about her kids. She now shares custody of both boys with Matthew. I don't think there will ever be any real justice for Jessica. But as long as I know that my kids are safe, that's all the justice I need. And now you're going to make me cry. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I knew it was going to come at one point, but I didn't know when. Okay. (sighs) Tears. Okay. Because you don't ever want anything bad to happen to them. As parents, you're supposed to protect them. And then when they're with him, I can't do that because they're not in my sight, not in my vision. And it's always them that gets me crying. And that's like, you can do what you want to me all day long, but when it comes to your kids, that's a whole different story. (sighs) 
The Officer's Wife is a Vault Studios production in collaboration with WXIA 11 Alive in Atlanta. The Vault Studios team includes executive producers Will Johnson and Adam Ostro and investigative journalist Jessica Knoll. Audio production by Richard Humphreys at Tacoma Media in Silver Spring, Maryland. Visit our website at vaultstudios.com to learn more about our podcasts, including Bardstown and our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles. And you can find us on Facebook at Inside the Crime Vault if you'd like to talk about this case and learn about other stories we're covering. If you or someone you know is in crisis, there are options available to help you cope. You can call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at any time to speak with someone and get support. For confidential support available 24-7 for everyone in the United States, call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255.